I think if the theology that we're teaching everything is God, nothing but God was around when the Buddha was talking, he would have said, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That this is the imminent aspect that we can see how everything is interconnected. Check one, two, one, two. Is this thing working? You're listening to Rabbi Ariel Schollklapper, the wisdom and tools you need to thrive. Hi, everybody. This is Rav Ariel, and I'm excited to present to you today Rabbi Jeff Roth, who is my mentor and teacher, and get to know a little bit about how he ended up learning mindfulness and Jewish mindfulness specifically. And uh, we'll start today by having a short practice that he'll guide us in that can be something that you can either use live now or return to when you're in a place where you can sit for 10 to 15 minutes and that's a safe thing. So if you're driving, keep your eyes open and keep your eyes on the road. But if you are in a comfortable, comfortable space to meditate right now, this is a great time for you to practice with a master. So I'll turn it over to Rabbi Jeff Roth. I'm excited for you to be here and thank you for joining. So I know that I know about your story a little bit, but I'm excited to hear more about it today. Okay, thank you. Uh, it's nice to be with you. Nice to be with you, Ariel. We've been practicing to get practicing together now for a long time, so uh, this will be fun to do this together. <clears throat> when I first learned mindfulness uh, meditation in the Buddhist world, one of the first things they taught as a practice was uh, pay attention to the arising and passing of the breath. Now, I was already a rabbi when I heard that instruction. So when they said that, I heard, oh, you mean yud heh vav heh. So let me show you a quick, sh I'll share my screen and we can do a practice. Uh, I can tell you what I mean by that as well. So uh, in this screen share, the bold Hebrew letters in the middle, more or less the middle of the page, uh, I'll make it more in the middle, uh, on the left column, those are the Hebrew letters Yud and He and Vav and He, which uh, are a way of referring to the divine. This is Those four letters form what we call a name for the divine. Uh, and obviously names are not the divine. It's a, the, the things we can call the divine. But this is the, one of the most holy combinations in the Jewish tradition, the most, most used, most frequent name in the Jewish tradition for the divine. The letters Yud, He, Vav, He. Here they're written from uh, top to bottom, but normally you write Hebrew from right to left. But the thing I want to point out to you about these uh, letters and then quickly move into a, a 10 minute practice is that in Hebrew, the uh, Hebrew words have a three letter root. And in this case, the Yud, uh, which is the first letter, is a prefix to the three letter root. And the three letter root is He and Vav and He. You see on this piece of paper, the, if you don't know any Hebrew, then the name of the letter is there and the sound in parentheses that it makes. So the hey and the vav and the hey is the root, uh, in Hebrew is a root word for the, for the verb to be. So this name for the divine has to do with the isness of the universe. The divine is the isness of the universe. So that it's, it's the being, the all being. Now, the letter hey 
this could be an accident. Uh, I've never studied this from a strictly uh, scholarly point of view of the origin of language and the origin of Hebrew language. But it seems like if you're going to have a verb, some kind of word that's going to represent what it means to be, it seems quite natural you might want to say, oh, here, here's, well, here's how we could indicate being. <sighs> like if you, if you want to know if somebody still is, still alive, oh, they're still breathing, that probably is, is as old as humanity is to know whether someone is breathing and that has to do with being, still being alive. So the letter hey and the letter hey is nothing other than the sound of the breath. So way before I learned mindfulness meditation, I learned ways of thinking about this name from the Jewish mystical tradition. And uh, early on was taught that you could, you could think about these letters as the letters of the breath. And then if you make that connection, if the hey is the sound of breath and the hey appears twice, it, it just seems to be somewhat logical that, well, the in-breath is the sound and the out-breath is the sound. So then maybe this is talking about one breath, one cycle of breath. And from that perspective, in Hebrew, Yud is the smallest letter and in the mystical tradition sort of represents emptiness, coming out of emptiness. Every Hebrew letter starts with a Yud. So all the letters uh, in calligraphy, it starts with a Yud. So you, you, the calligrapher would make a yud and then makes the rest of the letter. Uh, yud represents emptiness. Hey would be then the in-breath. Vav would be the fullness before the out-breath starts. Vav is the straightest of the Hebrew letters. Uh, the spine, sometimes it's thought of as the spine, which is the same shape. It's just a line. And when you breathe in, your spine gets a little bit more erect because the lungs push back on the spine. So this vav represents fullness, then you breathe out of the letter hey. So let's do 10 minutes of breathing in and breathing out, but consciously making a connection that this breathing in and breathing out is the basic pattern that's hinted at by this name, yud hey vav hey. So this divine name of being is uh, in some ways, both metaphorically and actually, just breathing in and breathing out. That, we, we're still alive and still extant, you know, while we're breathing. So uh, just try to sit comfortably. You can keep your eyes open as long as you need uh, if you want to get this pattern down. Before the in-breath comes in, you can try to feel in your body uh, just what your body feels like relevant to the breath before an in-breath comes in. Uh, if you do that for any length of time before breathing in, you'll probably notice uh, an impulse in the body that you can actually feel will arise to take a breath. Then comes the in-breath, follows that. So you pay attention to this, to this sensation of trying, needing to take a breath, the desire to take a breath in, uh, before the breath comes in. Then you feel the in-breath coming in, and you can say the letter hey in your mind, or you can say the word in just to point out that you're taking this in-breath and it has something to do with the letter hey. Then vav is full. So before you start the exhalation, you can notice that your lungs are relatively full. You can imagine that that has to do with the letter vav or the word full. And then you breathe out, just the, the bottom hey in this, writing it this way. And that represents the out-breath. 
So very softly, you want to mostly let your attention be on the sensation of the emptiness, the sensation of the in-breath, the physical sensation in your body, the sensation of fullness, the sensation of the breath going out. But softly in the back of your mind, you could say, oh, this is the divine pattern that's hinted at by yud heh vav And so you can softly say to yourself, Yud, before the breath comes in, and then as the breath is coming in, you feel the breath, but softly in the back of your mind, you can say, hey. Then just before the exhalation, you say, Vav. And then as you breathe out, you say, hey, again. You can switch back and forth to the English for that. You can go empty, in, full, out. Sometimes labeling helps you stay present to the breath. So we're mostly trying to feel the breath. We're trying to appreciate that it is the quality of still being alive. As long as you're breathing, you're alive. And that somehow that has something to do with the divine nature of the universe, aliveness, still existent. For 10 minutes, we'll do a 10 minutes now. Uh, empty in, full out, or yud, hey on the in-breath, hey on the out-breath. Feeling the breath softly using the letters.
and it's a nice way to start being together paying attention to being alive as beings who are breathing <clears throat> thank you um So I'd like to just uh, continue and and hope my, my prayer for our time is that we will end up feeling calmer and uh, more loving and more connected to our divine nature and that that will end up rippling out into the world so that other people who enjoy our session today will be hopefully filled with that kind of good energy and spirit and can find the peace that they need and the ease that they need for whatever they're navigating, whatever challenges they're navigating. But I'd, I'd like to ask you, I guess, this the kind of question I'm asking everybody, which is how did you start Jewish mindfulness? What start in Jewish mindfulness or mindfulness in general? What, got you started? What brought you to this? Yeah, thanks. I, um, in about 1980, <clears throat> uh, I was essentially a Jewish social worker. I was uh, hired to run a Jewish summer camp uh, so I was interested in Judaism, but almost completely self-taught. But I got introduced to the work of uh, Rabbi Zalman and Shachter Shalomi, uh, initially through audio cassette tapes, that ancient technology. And, uh, and I was part of a small chavura in Portland, Oregon, that began just right around the time I moved to Portland, Oregon. Actually within a week of when I moved to Portland, Oregon, this started. And um, I started learning about Reb Zalman's teaching because the main person who put the Chavurah together had also studied with Reb Zalman. So after about uh, nine months, we, we brought Reb Zalman out to Portland to do a Shabbaton. And the, the way the Shabbaton started essentially was looking at those four letters written like that. All that was a big white piece of paper with the four letters written from top to bottom there. And uh, just in that way, the yud and the hay and the vav and the hay, and nothing else on the piece of the paper. And then as, as, as Zalman presented the material and he filled in some things around on, on that piece of paper. But the essential thing that he taught that caught my attention uh, on that particular re retreat was a, a a way of uh, thinking about theology that I had never heard before, and I had frankly no interest in the divine or God. That, that was not part of my uh, Jewish practice. My Jewish practice was was prophetic, social justice. Uh, but Reb Zalman said that the main teaching, one of the main most important teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidic Judaism, was this teaching about the divine, everything is God, nothing but God. I'd never heard anything like that before. That was the first thing I heard that caught my interest about the divine. Like that was a whole new way of seeing seeing things. And uh, so I spent a lot of time studying with Reb Zalman. I eventually moved to Philadelphia, um, became the director of the organization he had started. 
and was really sort of studying and interested in Jewish mysticism. Because as Zalman introduced this kind of a theology that everything is God, nothing but God, and presented it from a Jewish mystical point of view, the, the point of practice was to have direct experience, direct experience of the sense that everything is the divine. Now, I understood the teaching, but I didn't have the direct experience, but I understood the idea of it and uh, where that might lead. And uh, so eventually I uh, went to rabbinical school where that's where Reb Zahn was teaching in Philadelphia at the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College. Uh, I learned a lot more about Jewish mysticism. And working with Reb Zaman, uh ran a series of retreats. We we would uh, run retreats through an organization at that time. It was, it was called Beneor, then it became Peneor. Now it's called uh, Aleph, the Alliance for Jewish Renewal. We ran a series of retreats, and the retreats were uh, quite wonderful. And I decided that when I finished rabbinical school, I wanted to start a, a Jewish spiritual retreat center, which I did. After the first year, and Reb Zalman was certainly a consultant in that project, and uh, I invited a lot of teachers who I had met through Reb Zalman. The thing we all had in common was that we were interested in Reb Zalman's work. Uh, but it was a whole a range of different teachers. And one of the things that Reb Zalman focused on in his teaching was uh, now what we might call uh, interspiritual. You know, it was, uh, being involved with the spiritual traditions, spiritual practices of other traditions, not just Jewish. So it's one of the things that kept my interest uh, in what Reb Zalman had to say. So after the first summer of this retreat center called the Lachayim that I started, we were, I was talking with Reb Zalman about the second summer, and he said, you know, you should invite Sylvia Borstein to come teach. Uh, uh, who I had never met, but she knew she knew Reb Zalman. He knew her pretty well. And uh, Sylvia Borstein uh, was a major and still is a major Buddhist teacher in this country. Uh, she helped start Spirit Rock, which is a major uh, meditation center out in the Bay Area, uh, along with Jack Cornfield. She was one of the leading teachers. Uh, Jack was the prime teacher in that in setting up uh, Spirit Rock, but Sylvia helped set up that program and taught there, and still teaches there. So uh, Sylvia came out to Elat Chaim, and uh, so I got to meet her. She taught a class with uh, Miles Krasen, who was um, deeply steeped in Jewish spiritual practices and had done some uh, Buddhist meditation, probably Tibetan, I think. Uh, so the two of them taught a class together, but I didn't get to be with them much. But it was enough of a link that the three of us then decided to run a Jewish meditation retreat. I didn't know anything about meditation, but I needed somebody to play guitar and lead the chanting, which I could do that. And so the three of us ran what most likely was the first ever in the history of the world Jewish silent retreat uh, focused on teaching meditation. And the meditation uh, was taught by Sylvia. And then Miles taught some Jewish, uh, uh, she taught the Dharma, essentially, of the Buddha Dharma. Uh, and Miles gave it a Jewish flavor, and I led the people in singing, chanting. Uh, but I got to hear Sylvia teach. 
I heard her teach the Dharma and it just totally sunk in at a very deep level that like, here was the clearest uh, explanation of how and why the human mind works the way it does, why, why our lives look the way they do, why, why human beings act the way they do. So it was my first real experience with having, even though I was leading the chanting and co-leading the retreat, I basically, other than the chanting, got to just listen to them teach and practice, practice meditating. And um, I, knew it, I knew instantly that that was something I wanted to pursue. Teaching, teaching from that perspective, learning that, learning that set of teachings more deeply. And so about a month later, uh, uh, Sylvia led a Jewish mindfulness retreat, silent retreat, for only for rabbis, that she led with uh, Rabbi Sheila Weinberg. Sheila and I were very close friends already, uh, but she uh, but she had started practicing mindfulness uh, about two years before that. Uh, so Sheila and Sylvia, with some funding that was available, started a Jewish ran a three-day Jewish silent retreat. Or just for rabbis, there were 12 of us who went, and uh, I really fell in love with the practice at that point. That, so that I'd heard the teachings, but the, I really got to be in silence for those three days. I wasn't teaching anything or leading anything, and uh, that three-day retreat affected me quite profoundly, uh, And as, as did Sylvia's teachings. And uh, Sylvia was teaching. I wanted to come sit again as soon as I could after that. So the next opportunity was, I went and I sat for eight days with Sylvia at Spirit Rock. I went out to Spirit Rock. They didn't have a facility yet. They used to rent space. Uh, but I went and sat on the old students retreat, which made no sense since I was a beginner. But, but I knew Sylvia, I knew the teacher. So she said, yeah, you could come for eight days, it's fine. So that's how I started my uh, mindfulness practice, a serious mindfulness practice. But because I was already a rabbi, Whatever they taught, like when they, I already said this once, when they said, okay, rest your attention on the breath, my mind went, oh, you're Nevave. Like I, so I always had an overlay that came from my Jewish uh, practice. But the thing, uh, and this mostly happened on that eight-day retreat. On that eight-day retreat, the, that was a long enough time period to practice that I uh, really felt a profound shift in my internal state of being th that felt like what I had been looking for and talking about as Jewish mystical experience, as direct experience. Um, because on that retreat, with enough practice, and maybe because I was practicing with students who'd been practicing for 20 and 30 years, like I said, it was the old students retreat, I, I don't know why exactly, but somehow the whole process of uh, mindfulness sunk in at such a deep level that I I could feel a part of the universe. It felt like the separateness from the from the rest of the universe uh, softened and the sense of interbeing with the rest of the universe manifested in a way that I would have said, oh, this is what, if mysticism about direct experience, this is it. Uh, and this was this was the first access I had to it, even though I had I had intellectual access to it. I knew what the teachings were. I was learning what the teachings were of Jewish mysticism. But here was a path, a practical, simple path that the mystical experience could be uh, realized. And 
I started teaching. I started. I continued practice and te- practicing and teaching that practice, essentially from that week on. And at that week, I asked Sylvia if she would be my private mentor in the practice. She she agreed to do that. She and I started teaching retreats together right away after that, short ones and then longer ones, and uh, and involving Sheila as well. So she, Sheila became part of that same teaching team. So I was essentially uh, learning and practicing and teaching all at the same time, like in sequential. Sometimes I'd be on retreat, then I would teach what I learned on the retreat. So I've been doing it pretty much since then. That was in uh, 1995, 1996. And then the wow. three of us had uh, were given some big grants to start bringing this even more so into the Jewish world. And the grants came through the retreat center, that Alat Chaim, that I had I had started, so then we were had major funds to train rabbis. To, they give us funds to run three week-long retreats a year for rabbis, and and then gave us the fund to run a two-year training program for rabbis to teach mindfulness. And that was through the Cummings Foundation. That was through the yeah. That was in so, right with- now. There must be hundreds, right? hundreds of mindfulness sitting groups, Jewish mindfulness sitting groups in synagogues. But it all started with these those years of training rabbis. So, do you feel like the the moment when you had that kind of profound realization, that direct experience that you've described, was is that in some way the motivating force for why you, by and large, are teaching retreats and have dedicated yourself for the last few decades to really putting on and supporting teachers and growing the scene for people to be able to practice on immersive longer experiences? Well, what what became uh, clear for me through my practice uh, was a, a, a deeper and deepening understanding of the nature of the human experience, and uh, and with a primary focus on directly beginning to understand how and why human beings, including myself uh, and other all other human beings, how and why we become selfish and self-centered, how the how the uh, discursive conceptual nature of thinking. Uh, unintentionally leads in that direction uh, towards uh, selfishness, self-centeredness. So it uh, it became instantly clear to me, not, it became clear to me pretty quickly on that this was going to be how uh, we could make a huge, make an impact on human behavior in this world, which is why I was interested in Judaism in the first place, was about a social justice, how to, how to change the world. And this then became to me, the clearest, simplest way, uh, if, 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 uh, if human beings are going to live differently on the planet, they need to understand uh, how and why uh, they think and act the way they do. All of their beliefs and views and opinions, how, which includes judgment and hatred and, and feeling superior to other beings and taking advantage of other beings. All those things are, the causes for all those things are directly addressed by learning how how the human mind works and how I also am affected by those in ways that then lead to my own selfishness or being self-centered. Uh, 
uh, and here was a here was a set of tools that worked on me and if they worked on me and if I understood them it seemed like this would be this simplest clearest way that I knew of to impact other beings you know other human beings so that, that it fits so well with the, uh, even though Buddhism was taught without a theological uh, foundation, because the Buddha was responding to the theology of his times, which was that the divine was this other force, and you know God was another other force. The Buddha chose not to teach from that perspective and said you know, we shouldn't even be talking about that. That's one of the great imponderables, you know, uh, whether there's a God or a first cause. And uh, but he didn't know because it didn't exist yet that there would be a, a shift in theology, at least in the Jewish world, there was a shift in theology that made the divine imminent. I think if the theology that we're teaching, everything is God, nothing but God, was around when the Buddha was talking, he would have said, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That this is the imminent aspect that we can see how everything is interconnected. That's what we see. Uh, that, that single teaching in Judaism uh, dovetails with understanding uh, the uh, ultimate reality that there's no separate self, uh, which is certainly a Buddhist teaching, but from a Jewish perspective, if there's no separate self, that's because everything's God and nothing but God. It's just the Buddha wouldn't have said it that way, but that's not the God he was referring to. So is that to you what differentiates? That's why I started, that's why I started by the way, with let's go right to the yud heh vav If we're gonna do, 10 minutes that's going to be involved with, you know, how I practice. We want to, I want to start right away with the theology. Do you feel like that's what differentiates what you teach from Buddhist mindfulness? And that's what makes it Jewish, basically, is the yud heh the divinity, the focus on everything is God and nothing but God? Uh, I would say that... Uh, that way of language, that way of languaging, of, of of wanting to hold on to a theological perspective, but then needing a theology that you know seemed accessible and true. Uh, uh, that is a. I, I think that's um, why I can uh, fully embrace the Buddhist teachings, and still do it from a Jewish perspective, and it's why and it's why. The Jewish mystical teachings then dovetail so well with uh, Buddhist teachings because we're all just trying to teach about the nature of reality. It's not teachings aren't exactly Buddhist or Jewish. Reality is reality, and trying to apprehend reality is trying to apprehend reality. And then there are Jewish versions of that and Buddhist versions of that. But uh, but I'm interested in direct experience of what's real. What do you feel like? the impact you've been able to make on, I mean, I'm sure you've, you've touched the lives of now probably thousands of students, you know, directly, and then even more indirectly because of the people you've taught who've gone on to teach others. And I'm curious what the most profound feedback that you get from people has, what, what is that? What do you, what, like, how does it nourish you and, and what is it doing for other people as well? I mean, I could speak to it myself, but I'm curious what others have told you, reported to you. Uh, 
the uh, the you know I've been working now with uh, lots of different people, but also uh, a fair number of the same people for 15, 20, 25 years because uh, they also were uh, excited about hearing this uh, teaching and practicing this way. Uh, so I'm now part of a group of people that I can say have been doing this for a long time and I, I can listen and do listen and essentially every week because uh, I have eight online sitting groups now and some of these people are in those groups uh, and, and people have practiced for less time than that and I get to directly see and witness uh, the impacts that they say it's had in their lives. So this is a, a self-report about how they're more able to listen, more able to be in their relationships they're in, how, they're, how it helps them in their parenting, how it helps them to be responsible citizens, how it helps them deal with their own uh, greed, their own aversion. Uh, they're, I am buoyed by the real, the real testimonies of real people's lives, how much it has impacted them, how, uh, how they can see, how they can handle things in ways they would never have been able to handle them before. Uh, all from a, from a metric of uh, cultivating wisdom, compassion, and kindness. It's not, it's not just that they're different, it's that they're different in the direction of being wiser about the nature of life, the nature of their own life, they understand their lives, they understand their own thinking better, they understand their own beliefs and views and opinions better, they have a softer uh, clinging to beliefs and views and opinions, and uh, and uh, they feel like they're better planetary citizens on every level and there's their families and uh, I think we could all still do better on how that's going to generate out even beyond but uh, this, this was part of your question too so, so that's that was sort of on the individual level I keep getting that feedback uh, and then it's clear that uh, mindfulness is um, making a huge impact on how uh, on an ever-growing number of people in our society. It's a, it's a part of our society. Sort of like once upon a time, yoga was a rare thing. You know, some people started learning yoga. Now, you know, every gym in the world teaches yoga. Uh, you know, among other things that they teach. And uh, mindfulness is sort of catching on in that way. It's taught in the public schools now. And as I was saying earlier, now in hundreds of synagogues, a Jewish version of mindfulness uh, is being taught. And uh, to a large degree, uh, uh, Sylvia and Sheila and I sort of set the ball in motion for that, along with David and Shoshana Cooper, who also started teaching Jewish silent retreats just about the same time as we did that first one at Alat Chaim. And I taught with both of those groups, uh, with, with both sets, and uh, so we have impacted, you know, as you've said, thousands of people who are now impacting others. They're practicing on their own, and they're also sharing sharing what they've learned with others yeah explicitly and then just in the way that they walk through the world as change individuals if you are less angry and reactive that's already a change even if you're not saying anything about instructing others on how to do it right exactly so i'm yeah. curious what you your hope for the like the future of like maybe Jewish practice or like humanity is based on the work. If we can, if we could be the ones who impact 
this planet, leave it better. What is, what's your hope that the direction this is taking will, will impact? What's the outcome you're hope, hoping for, if anything? Well, as I said, it's an excellent question. And uh, um, I, I have, I would like to think this is out of wisdom and not out of uh, resignation, but I have more um, modest hopes for uh, how this, how, how what we're, what I've learned and, and what we what we're practicing, what you're teaching, what other people are teaching now in this in the Jewish world, I have more modest hopes on on the uh, overall impact it will have. Uh, but I'm also more patient about it. Uh, you know, it all, it, this is going to take a while for uh, this the, these changes to take hold, and some of them may, some of them may not uh, take hold. But what I think needs to happen is that uh, <clears throat> I think essentially this is this I think this is the the uh, simplest most direct most rewarding uh, spiritual practice uh, that one can take on this sitting and uh, very carefully observing with other people being parts of groups of other people who are practicing together this is, the, this is, I think, the most direct, simple practice to really learn what it is that uh, needs to change in ourselves and then uh, what we need to be able to share with other other people. As I said, that's, that's why it's being taught in the public schools now. Mindfulness is being taught in public schools. Uh, I think vis-a-vis -vis Judaism, I would hope that uh, that there's a... a, a a Jewish future where, where this kind of uh, silent practice, which can include uh, teachings from Jewish mystical practices and can in include some of the beautiful lines of our liturgy. So, so you can include chant as a way to teach and then chant combined with silence to practice the things that are being um, highlighted in the prayers. I think this needs to become the primary practice. This should, this should be the primary spiritual practice uh, in the Jewish world uh, to have maximal effect. I'm not saying that's what will happen, but that's what I wish would happen, that this, uh, if, if you might want to say that the change, the shift from biblical Judaism was a shift away from uh, the sacrificial system uh, to somehow involving uh, the life of prayer and study, that uh, that the next level of practice would be to work on the level of uh, what mindfulness uh, would offer to how uh, a Jewish spiritual life could be lived, that this would, this would become the central practice and other things would be built around it. Yeah, I hear that. I feel that actually is one of the reasons that I, I'm so motivated to teach this and to practice it in my life is because what I see is that modern day Jewish practice is missing that kind of intentionality, mindfulness. And I'm not saying that's all in all places, but by and large, 
the practices seem like they're and prayers and and rituals many of them are are like disconnected from the from the actual direct experience which would motivate you if you were having this direct experience of a proximity to that that div divinity and um and and kindness and compassion it would also make you want to be closer to the social just socially just model it would also make you want to be cl closer to a model that actually um helps you feel connected not just intellectually physically emotionally spiritually so thank you so much for taking the time to to be uh with me today and to share a little bit of your of your story i know this is an abridged version I've heard longer versions and I'm, I'm curious how people can reach you if they want to work with you. What's the best way to do that? So the, the uh, organization that I started to help promote this kind of uh, practice within Judaism, but, but mostly to give people direct access uh, uh, to situations in which they can learn the practice and practice it. Uh, through ongoing sitting groups and and retreats, shorter and longer retreats, uh, to get grounded in the practice. Uh, it's, I coordinate my efforts in a project called the Awaken. It's called the Awaken Heart Project, and people can uh, can uh, connect to it through the Awaken Heart Project at at awakenheartproject.org, all one word: awakenheartproject.org. Uh, they can get on the mailing list for the organization, then get notified about all the different different retreats and retreat options. And the website itself has uh, now uh, dozens and dozens of uh, talks by the various teachers and Sylvia and Sheila, as I mentioned already, Norman Fisher, uh, Alan Liu, uh, Sheila Weinberg, uh, Sheila Katz, Brian Arnell. Those are, are maybe there's some of your talks on there. Possibly, uh, more and more are getting on now that now that we can record with Zoom so easily. Uh, there's many many more uh, resources. Anyway, this website has resources to hear teachings about the practice, and it also has uh, quite a few options for listening to how to how to do contemplative practice of chant and silence. So, the liturgy has also moved in a direction of less words. Uh, more repetition of the words we are using, and then silent space to allow the power of the liturgy to sink in, the power and the direction and the, the wisdom of the liturgy to sink in. So there are liturgical chant offerings on that website as well. Uh, and then if for people who are really uh, interested in going deeper, then I'd recommend they start doing something in person. So there's always retreats right now. Most of the retreats are online because of uh, COVID. Uh, but at some point they'll be online and in person. Uh, the next re week-long retreat I happen to be teaching in person uh, is, at a, is at a center called the Southern Dharma Center in Asheville. So I'm going to be teaching a week-long retreat from June 5th to the 12th. I think that's the next in-person opportunity. Uh, awesome. But there are other retreats online that you can find on that website. Thank you. And I know that I am the you are responsible and the awakened heart project are responsible for me being having been trained like from the beginning to end 
So I'm grateful for you doing this work in the world and for the organization that has poured resource into um, me when I was younger and just kind of this, it's already been more than a decade. So I'm grateful. And um, so I'll, I'll make sure that there's a link down below in the show notes to make sure that people can follow up with you and find the Awaken Heart Project. And two books, there are two books I've written about this practice, uh, Jewish Meditation Practices for Everyday Life, as a more basic primer, and then uh, Me, Myself, and God, which focuses even more on the theology of Jewish mindfulness. You can get both of those books uh, through the website if you want, or, or, and any other bookseller, big booksellers, you know who sells lots of books, but uh, you can get them online. You can get these books online. So, Thank you. So I, would you like to leave us uh, please with a prayer for our time, for uh, the merit that we've brought? Yeah, so why don't, you, uh, why don't you hear this prayer? Why don't you close your eyes and take another few breaths. And you can imagine, but it's not just imagination. You can imagine that that the very breath you're taking is the is a breath of life. It's an ongoing gift. Of life is an ongoing gift of the universe. As long as, as long as we're in the body and we can appreciate that gift. And I want to bless everybody that uh, they begin to practice in a way and have realizations about the interconnected nature of all being, which is another way of saying the divine. May we and all beings practicing, may we, and, and may this spread to people who have not yet heard about these kinds of practices, may we, may we begin to actually see the truth of interconnection, which uh, helps us open our own hearts in compassion. May our practice help us listen deeply uh, to all the cries in the world, to all the suffering in the world. May our practice help us understand human nature and how and why that suffering comes about. May we feel empowered by our practice uh, to deal with suffering, to deal with our own suffering deal with the suffering of the people we love the most, but also um, may the clarity arise that we are all in this together. Everybody, all beings on the planet are in this uh, web of interbeing and the well-being of all the planet is dependent, especially on human beings waking up and moving past selfishness and moving into uh, clear, clear wisdom about the nature of reality and and may the practice then open up our hearts in compassion for the suffering and may that wisdom and compassion and clarity about human nature may it also infuse us to act in the world uh, to do what's necessary in the world uh, to help eliminate uh, greed and hatred and so may we uh, share these the fruits of our practice with all beings and may all beings on this planet uh, benefit from our dedicated practice. And if that speaks to you, you can say Amen. Amen.
Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Roth. Thank you, Jeff, for being here. And thanks, everybody who tuned in. If you, you, uh, you enjoyed this, please share it out to others in the world. Give us five-star reviews. Um, and I uh, appreciate it, everybody. Thank you. To stay updated on new episodes, subscribe on iTunes or follow on Facebook.com slash Rabbi Shulk. That's Rabbi Shulk, R-A-B-B-I-S-H-O-L-K. Hey, so if you're really serious about this, come on down to ravariel.com. That's www.ravariel.com. Take our free trial, do the self-learn path, or try group coaching, or even come apply to work with me one-on-one. And you'll give yourself the accountability and the support and the step-by-step path that you need to feel calmer, more mindful, and happier with your life. So come on down, www.ravariel.com. See you there.